The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Cameron Fry with His Girl Friday. It's been a while. It's been a month, actually, since I've posted a pod. And a big reason for that is a spoken word that I really been working on since late May, um, put on the back burner for June and most of July. Finally found an opening uh, a couple weeks ago where I finally could produce it, edit it, and put it out there. So what's up on YouTube and our Facebook page? If you want to check it out, if you're on YouTube, um, you could just type in His Girl Friday. That's Friday with a Y um, instead of an I. Plus Dare to Deem. That's the title of the spoken word. Dare to Deem. You can check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, but I'm not big on promotions. Um, tonight is all about uh, a new message in my heart. It's part of a new series. And really, it. well, let me rephrase that. It, it does connect back to our Work as Worship series. However, it's also kind of getting into new territory. Uh, and that new territory is going to be the theme for where we go this fall. And it centers on the concept of a new heart. What does receiving a new heart look like from the Lord? So this is uh, hot off the press, and it's going to be content I use for my T.Bible Bible study. However, just to make sure I uh, cite my sources properly, a lot of this, um, while it has been upwelling for weeks, even months, um, hearing my dad, uh, Steve Fry, for those who don't know, uh, talk about this uh, the last two Sundays at the Gate Community Church. Um, it has layered my understanding, um, and it, I've gotten so excited about it. I just, I had to put the pen to paper uh, the last couple of days, and so um, this pod will join forces with a post that uh, just went out uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'm cutting this around 8 o'clock Central Daylight Time. The post went up a few hours ago. I'm going to add uh, the pod to it in just a moment. Um, but Work is Worship, Hearts of Flesh is the title I'm going with right now. Uh, this is going to be part one because part two is going to feature much more specific application uh, in Marketplace, and I'll touch on all that. But uh, I want to break this part one down into three core concepts, three main points. Before I dive into those points, let me just highlight the Bible passages that will serve as the foundation for this series. We come from Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Ezekiel thirty six, twenty six through twenty seven, Jeremiah thirty one, thirty three, and Hebrews eight ten. Now, the backdrop passages are going to be out of Second Corinthians three and Second Corinthians five thirteen. When I say backdrop passages, that's more the filter by which we're going to examine the core passages. So the, the Ezekiel, the Jeremiah, the Hebrew passages, that, that's the foundation. But then when I say backdrop passages, we're going to filter them through 2 Corinthians 3 and 5.13. So core concept one, God has qualified us to communicate the Gospels as kingdom influencers. However, to walk in this competency, we must receive hearts of flesh in place of hearts of stone. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. It's no secret that we live in a flawed world with funky systems that bombard us with the idea that 
Success is an identity we achieve through our skills, through our ability, through what we bring to the table. And if we want to get something, we want to get somewhere, we got to first become something. If we want to reach X status, we must set an X goal. To reach an X goal, we must get there by X effort. Wash, rinse, and repeat. However, what if I told you when it comes to our spiritual maturity, nothing could be further from the truth? It's not just a foreign grid to the worldly system. It's an entirely separate universe. For example, you may have a counselor's heart, but you doubt its validity because you're not licensed. Or you could substitute something that generally requires certification in order to get the job you're aiming for. But you're not licensed. The world would say until you receive the proper credentialing, you're not a counselor or plug in your vocation of choice. But to God, rolling with the counselor analogy, but to God, you are a counselor because that's what he's made you to be. You may have much to learn. You may have several years left until you get certified. You may be on an academic pathway and there's just a lot of hurdles you have to clear. doesn't mean you aren't what you're aiming to be. You have your core identity, who God says you are, that gets into, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a child of God, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am chosen, I am appointed. And then there's the calling. God has something specific he wants you to do using that core spiritual identity. And then there's a vocational identity that complements that. This doesn't mean you're not who God has called you to be if you're not certified or you don't have that credentialing. You see, the world wants you to think it's all about the process, that what you hope to be can only be accomplished through how you get there. Think about it. If there has to be, if there's a how, then there has to be a what. And for there to be a what, there has to be a who, right? The who. Who appointed this? Who created this? Who set this all in motion in the first place? Why are we here? I mean, it's you can't uh, detach the existential element to these heavy-hitting questions and examples here. The question is, who do we believe when it comes to who we are? Are we believing the world? Are we believing our interpretation? Are we? I mean, we're believing something. Even agnostics or atheists, that they're believing something. We're all believing something. <clears throat> You can't get away with believing something without a who involved, and I'd say there's two who's involved, um, hence the question I framed there. Who do we believe when it comes to who we are? While the outcomes are many, when God is our one and only answer, we can know the sweet reality that not only is our salvation secure for those who believe, that's Roman Road 10, Romans 10, 9 through 10, not only is our salvation secure for those who believe, but our purpose, our destiny, and our future as well can be seen and known as secure. That's a huge, huge truth I want you guys to process with me because I'm still learning this stuff alongside you guys. But that I know to be true. And I'm going to spend the next tonight and the next couple episodes uh, 
proving, I don't want to say proving, um, we're going to unpack the truth of why it's real, why it can be real to us. Accordingly, growth and improvement, or betterment, whatever term you use, growth and improvement should not be seen as functions of development, but of yielding, of referencing God. What you hope you are, you already are, because your identity is not a matter of becoming and refining, but believing and aligning. It's probably a better Dr. Seuss way of putting uh, the core point I mentioned above about our salvation not only being secured, but our purpose as well. So all this in mind, if what you seek to experience and encounter has already been prepared, and that's just believing what the word says, this is this is taking into account that you believe that God exists and that you believe in him being the word and being the creator of all, that he didn't just create you at random and just give you some arbitrary designation. Or it's just here, you figure life out, you know, I made you, love me, akuna matata, uh, try and do the best you can with this life and eventually we'll get to heaven someday and have a grand old party. That's not, that's not what it is. Preparation is a huge part. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of a core of who we are. And it, it's key to our livelihood. God not only created us, but he prepared us for something that we can't possibly understand in this life, but we, we catch glimpses of it. If what we seek to experience has already been prepared, why not enter into God's best with a yes and effort with a sigh? Why not accept his realized new, then take a chance missing it all for the sake of going your own way? So that's another theme. We're talking about um, receiving a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. And then we're going to talk about uh, how self-effort relates to having a heart of stone and how receiving a new heart from the Lord represents the heart of flesh. So that's core concept one. Core concept two, to receive a heart of flesh is to believe God always sees the finished you. Accepting this sets us up to experience radical life in the spirit, to be transformed through the spirit's inner power. There's amazing freedom when we accept our future as known and predetermined rather than unknown and self-determined. This could be a challenging concept, the process, to accept since we often seek to control our destiny through achievement through effort and striving. We think as long as we work hard and ask God for the right things, they'll be given to us. And to a certain extent, this is true. However, if making requests to God and modeling faith, our integrity through excellence, if these are detached from aligning to God, are we not craving what he gives versus what he creates? I know that may sit heavy with some of you, but it's it's a question that we need to ask ourselves because a lot of people, I'm not saying they don't work hard. I know a lot of people, uh, even lost people, even unsaved people who are doing the best they can. They're doing good work and they're bettering their process and procedures. They're building things, constructing things, establishing things. And it's all awesome. And I get to watch this unfold every week. And for me, I can work hard and ask God, for certain things, whereas other people I know, they're probably not asking God. So it's like I get to uh, make my request known through prayer. I get to prepare my heart each day. There's that daily alignment that happens, uh, you know, not only when I'm driving to work, 
but even as I'm going and I'm encountering things, uh, you know, troubleshooting moments um, where the, the flesh kind of gets pricked uh, by brewing offense and something that doesn't sit well with me and I just get to, you know what, I get to die to my flesh and just res I resist the fear of man in the name of Jesus. It's awesome to daily align in those, even, even in those simple small moments we take for granted. But the point I'm trying to make is, yes, work hard, do the right thing and ask for the right things, but don't do it in a spirit of fear or just being anxious of not having something or not being at a certain level or for you know life to make sense. It's a big theme that I talk about in my posts. Dying to the need to feel like your life makes sense or where you're at makes sense. Because if fear is the driving motivation in any way, you're going to value God. You're going to serve God, um, but you're going to view him through the filter of what he can give you versus what he will create and establish in you. Big difference. So if you're struggling with this, think about David and his lowest points. Uh, dare to view your present and future struggles through uh, the, his heart cry in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. It's not the f first time, not the only time we're going to come back to this passage. Where in that Psalm, he asks not only for a clean heart, but a new one. There's a before and after. There's a heart transplant that Paul's getting at here, or sorry, David's getting at here. But also Ezekiel in the New Testament alludes to uh, twice in chapter 36. And the motif in Paul's letters that again we'll come back to um, this is that that idea right there um, is worth a post in and of itself uh, the difference between asking not only for a clean heart but a new one we view restoration a lot of times as just like a refresh of the web browser of our hearts where you know what um, this page isn't working or I'm getting an error message and Lord, just refresh me, and it's still we're still kind of on the same page if you just push return on the URL <laughs> in that field. No, he's opening up a new window, and it's like, let's, let's go somewhere else. So this does tie into how we perceive restoration. Uh, that gets into my third core concept, but for now, we are in two, so let's keep going. The spirit life process. That is what it means to be in continual harmony with the Holy Spirit where you're receiving His work by aligning to God. Where If you're at the point where you're asking God to give you a new heart, which this idea, which should be more than idea, reality, it's, it can be a daily experience. It could be a part of your spiritual rhythm and routine. Asking the Lord to give you a new heart for your peers, a refreshed, a purified mind for the situations that are inev inevitably attached to responsibilities that God has put in your path. Asking the Lord to remove the hearts of stone. This isn't like a one-time thing or a, a biannual type prayer. Spirit life process is a presence meets power, abiding meets trusting experience. 
as Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians, we're not changed into a new creation. We are made as a new creation. We aren't born again through accrued improvements. We're born again through the Spirit's transformative power, which enables us to not become, but be what God has and continues to declare. As for us, all we have to do is humbly align ourselves to God by His Spirit. We receive the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, declare to God that I want to align to your will, die to your flesh, um, not my will, but your will be done, and then walk His appointed path through daily tuning and reliance. This truth assumes that you will receive the enlightenment, the clarity, the discernment, the wisdom, uh, the open door, whatever, however that looks. You will know what to walk and you're not just guessing but that the Lord will be faithful to illuminate your pathway. Think of it this way. If the good news is Jesus is alive and has set you free, then by extension, you don't have to earn your freedom because your efforts aren't the keys to your life. See, it goes back to the the messaging of the world and secular culture. I know, you know, we need to understand that secularism isn't going to exist and there's a reason why secularism is, is important. We need to be able to embrace, as a church, as a body, embrace our call to rescue people out of deception and knowing that weakness is not to be despised because without weakness, God couldn't be who He is to us. If we could rescue people from the lies that they believe while at the same time embracing not only the weaknesses in them, but the weaknesses in us, because all have sinned and fallen short. The question is, are we, again, aligned to our spirit so that it's not about efforting by our own strength to improve in a certain area, but trusting the Lord that He will fill us with goodness, with godliness, with the tools and the resources we need to reach that next level. It's, it's all about receiving from the Lord. And then so much of the manifestations that we're so concerned about, like, you know, like the fruits of the Spirit, those are our overflows. The fruits of the Spirit are overflows. Just trusting and relying and yielding to God. So, anywho, that was a slight rabbit trail, but I think it was important to unpack. That's, and that's a key point. There's a lot of key points that I'm unpacking tonight. You don't have to earn your freedom because your efforts aren't the keys to your life. It's really sad. Woe to the person who is a slave to their own effort and their happiness is contingent. Their contentment is contingent on whether or not something works out for them. So God could be closing a door for them behind the scenes and they would be really sad because they don't realize, they don't have the understanding to know that there's something much bigger than themselves working on their behalf, trying to guide them to an, a greater revelation uh, through a, a direct, leading to a direct encounter with the divine. All right, so that in mind, uh, instead, what's the instead there? Instead, you can relish in your freedom knowing you don't create it by self-effort, but discover being present with God. This leads us to a core concept three. Believing God sees the finished you allows you to embrace helplessness and surrender your veils. When Paul mentions veils five times in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, that's one of our backdrop passages, it's easy to assume he's talking about revealed glory. You know, the, the veil, like... People couldn't see God, now they could commune with Him. Uh, it's part of the cross story. However, when we consider verse 17 
in that passage, in its modern-day application, we find Paul is doing at least three things. Number one, he's linking Christ's finished work on the cross to our finished person. See freedom through the lens of the new covenant. He's, number two, he's charging the church to fairly turn to the Lord. And lastly, he's cautioning the body against obedience through self-effort. Let's look at that last point there. It's worth noting, even when we do the right thing, if the act is rooted in fear, our hearts of stone will remain intact since trust is still self-reliant. That's why the flip side, that's why the contrary is so radical. To do the right thing by trusting God is to allow God's tender heart to tenderize your own. This is evident when we turn to Jesus in moments of dependence, desperation, or negative thinking. But as for you, turn to Jesus because when you do, you're essentially abandoning fear of conviction and exposure for the sake of discovering new levels of his nature, character, and glory. It's the ultimate, his fullness exceeds my voids proclamation. It's an acceptance of God and his desire uh, to know his heart out of abundance and not fear. Trusting him that he will uh, lead us to wells of fullness and that he'll provide even when we're in dry, on dry land. Put another way, God doesn't want to change your heart. He wants to give you a new one, which... We have already established, but it's worth repeating. He doesn't want to improve you. He wants to take out your heart of stone and put in a brand new heart of flesh. Now, going back to restoration. Yes, God is able to fully restore health, relationships, fortune, strength, joy, salvation. And, the, and I, in the post, I linked the, the scriptural references there. So I'm not just throwing this in for fluff. God's able to restore quite a bit, but with our hearts, it's different. Because the heart is our inhabitable being. It's where the spirit dwells. God never stops wanting to go deeper, which is why God implants new hearts in his people so the larger dimensions can contain the future mortal inevitably reveal, pour in, so, etc. That's the whole reason behind having a new heart is that God wants to enlarge the container by which we can hold. It doesn't make sense to restore a heart with the same dimensions intact. I mean, that's why God doesn't just restore an old heart and just, you know, a lot of times we see these like, you know, graffiti art or um, images online of a heart that's like sewed together and, and stitched together. It represents a broken heart that's healing. I submit that that's, while that's maybe a true representation emotionally, it doesn't capture the fact that God wants to give us a new heart of flesh. And it actually can be, from his vantage point, it can be sparkly new like a new car in a lot that hasn't been driven off yet now don't go too far into that particular analogy but just know that as for our response to receiving a new heart from the lord remember we don't believe the right thing so we can experience the cool buzz of his presence we contend for the right thing so the glory of god can fill our spaces our work our church living family friends etc God desires his created, his painted, to be free from performance and fear-based systems of thinking that the world tries to iron into us. But we can't tap into the desire of God if we try to effort our way there. We must yield our way there. That's the hope of glory, meeting the good news as modeled in our own life. So final thoughts. Stop trying to be a Christian and turn to Jesus regardless of how you feel. It may not feel natural at every juncture. But there is kind of the, that's that's the Star Wars theology that they actually nailed that right on. You don't try, just, you do, you turn. There's an act. You do the act. Yield to the Father and accept his acceptance of yourself. Don't try and earn it. 
Don't try and accept yourself because you can. That's the whole point of self-love. It doesn't exist apart from the Lord. Accept God's acceptance of yourself. That ties to his love. And yes, pain is real. Hurts are real. But they're irrelevant when you stack them against that Colossians 2, Ephesians 2 combo where it talks about when you put them together, we are his worksmanship, created not only for good works, but for fullness from our finished future. A lot of times we, it's easy for us to remember we're created for good works and we stop there. But we don't so much think about or meditate on what does created for fullness look like, let alone being created for fullness from our finished future that God has already seen and he declares it. And we don't have to worry about reaching there or not because God is going to lead us there. We Now we can make choices. It doesn't mean free will doesn't exist, but that's the thing. If we yield to the Father, there's there's a pathway where if we do this lifestyle, especially together in community, it's not a question of will we get there or not. And if that's the question in our minds, then that's that's self-effort talking. If, if, the, if the thought is, I don't know if I'm going to get there or not, and I, you know, you get into these self-determinate lines of thinking, and that mode of thought process, and it's, it can just get overwhelming so quickly. Just be like, you know what, I may not... It's not about my dreams being realized. It's about the Lord's dream being realized in me. It's about others discovering the Lord, others being added into his family. It's about making the Lord known and him being glorified, which can happen a number of different ways. It's not like you have to, you can only glorify God in certain ways. It's like he's called you to do this, but and if you're not doing it in any season of your life, you're not bringing him glory. I mean, it's just amazing. It's, it's profound, really, to think about how performance mentality seep into our relationship with the Lord and sometimes we get intimidated by the God we want to serve and want to receive from but if we think that we're disappointing him we're going to distance ourselves and then that's when deception seeps in and then we get back into these like what do I believe again? Anywho 2 Corinthians 3.17 I know I, I mentioned earlier but I'll say it again and the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom Freedom from your effort, self-reliance, resistance to performance, and the deepest of emotional hurts. So I know this was a longer pod. And part of it is, yes, I mean, it, it does pertain to a wider range of content. Um, that's why we're breaking up into different parts. And so next time we'll discuss how this theology works in the marketplace. But till then, I encourage you to declare the gratitude and praise the one with the key, not only to your heart, but your future as well. Don't be afraid to pray for a heart of flesh and for others to discover the one who can provide that. If you want to model it, you need to receive it first. And I'll just leave you with that. So, anywho, thanks for uh, tuning in, listening to the podcast. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. We look forward to serving and writing for you in the future. As, all, as I always say, look forward to seeing you soon. And I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.